This is Banished. I'm Amna Khalid. In the build-up to the Winter Olympics, CBS's 60 Minutes profiled a Chinese political dissident. An artist who self-exiled to Australia in 2009 and goes by the pseudonym Badyo Tsao. If he's not public enemy number one in China, he's up there. I am an individual. I'm not controlled by any authority. Certainly not CCP. That scares them. His most recent work is a series of protest posters. At first glance, these seem like advertisements for the Beijing Olympics. But take a closer look and you'll see a snowboarder surfing a surveillance camera, a hockey player tackling a Tibetan monk, a biathlete taking aim at a blindfolded kneeling Uyghur, and tank man of the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre standing in the path of a bobsled emblazoned with the symbol of the Chinese Communist Party. The posters are a scathing commentary on the Chinese government's human rights violations and the role of the Olympic Games in legitimizing the regime. They also happen to be beautifully rendered. With the Olympics now over, I wondered if Badyo Tsao might reflect on his work, his activism, and his life as a dissident. I began by asking how he came to see art as a means of protest and an avenue for criticizing the Chinese state. I think it comes as the other way around. Mm-hmm. I always find a voice or a language to engage with public discussion on very important social issues. And not necessarily about China, it could be about anything. Mm-hmm. Naturally, I think visual language like art is probably one of the strongest way uh, for me to express myself. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm making art and then one day I think, oh, I can engage art with political discussion. It's always, I want to be a part of the political discussion. And art is just by chance my language. That's how it works. I guess it's also very much depending on how people see art. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would argue art should only for the sake of art. Art is something beyond the reality and conventional experience. But for me, it's never the case. Art is extension for human being. And we're all social and political animals. So it's almost naive to say that art is something completely separated from our reality, from politics or social issues. It's a self-deceiving thing. I mean, I kind of understand the circumstance when this kind of understanding of art was promoted and advocated because it's also a way for some artists to be hijacked and manipulated by certain political force. But for me, you know, I'm not afraid of propaganda in a way that I do not want to be owned or controlled or manipulated. And in order to achieve that, I would rather to become my own propaganda hmm. or actively engage my art with those issues. So my fight back is not silence. My fight back is a real fight back. Maybe let me perhaps even backtrack a little bit further and ask you, when was your political awakening? As someone who grew up in China, when was it that you first started being politically conscious? What was that moment and how did you experience it? I think everyone in China is very political conscious because it's everywhere. It's in the air. Mm. It's in the water. It's in the history. It's in my family history. My grandfather and his brother were like, very pioneer filmmaker of China. Mm-hmm. And they get into trouble because they art after China's Communist Party is in power. 
my grandpa and his brother got persecuted during the 1957 political campaign, persecuting so-called right-wing or intellectual classes、mm-hmm. in China because their film are not 100% aligned with the propaganda of the CCP. So they've been sending to the、um, forced labor camp to get reformed or become a new person. But the reality is, most of those artists and intellectuals never walked out lively. My grandpa died there because of hunger and sickness and the heavy duty of those forced labor. You can imagine I grew up in family like this,、mm. with a broken family, shattered of politics. And this kind of fear just passed generation by generation. My father cannot go to the university, even though he's like A grade student, but he was not allowed to enter university in China because my grandpa was seen as anti-revolutionist artist.、Hmm. So politics is everywhere. This persecution, this sense of fear is everywhere. My parents never wanted me to be an artist because they believe it's dangerous to be so, and they think I could just repeating what happened in the history. I grew up with those stories, tragic stories, as a reminder. However, for me, I feel when I learn about it, I feel proud that I have such great parents.、Mm-hmm. This is a very powerful combination that I think eventually lead me to this road. But also, you know, the family memory is only a part of the puzzle that can eventually shape your understanding of the society and make you、mm-hmm. follow a decision. I guess the second puzzle that helped me to complete my understanding of China and makes me want to use my art to talk about those issues have a very clear connection with the Tiananmen massacre、hmm. in 1989. I am born in eighty six, so I was only three when that happened. When thousands upon thousands of students and workers are doing protests in Beijing and eventually brutally cracking down by the government, we don't even know how many people died from hundreds to tens of thousands because the Chinese government never allow anyone to do a good research. It's kind of very common knowledge outside of China. Everybody. Who care about human rights and knowing about the history of authoritarian regime would recall this and would instantly think about the image of a ordinary Chinese guy standing in front of the tank, which used to cracking down on the student movement. But for me, as a young university student in China, back in two thousand seven, two thousand six, I don't even know that exists. Until a very accidental encounter. So hang on, let me just clarify. So you were a university student in two thousand six, two thousand seven in China, and you did not know about this big historic event that I learned about in Pakistan as a student, which is the Tiananmen Square massacre. Did I hear that correctly? Hundred percent correctly. Yeah, I've never heard about it. Wow. My parents never mention it. There's no teacher in the school talk about it. There's no publication, no TV, nothing. So how did you learn about it? It's a very surprising, actually, encounter. You know, in China, even now, the copyrights of the films is terribly protected. You know, there's no real copyrights existing in China. Everything is pirated.
Oh, yeah, I know that. We have that in Pakistan. <laughs> Pirated DVDs. And we get exactly. all kinds of DVDs of everything from around the world. There is yeah. no yeah. idea of copyright. <laughs> you know, in China, all students have to live in dorm together. Yeah. It's a form of controlling the student, right? I guess the benefit of it is uh, you have some really good roommates that you become very good friends and close. And all my roommates have this ritual to... Pirating film and watching the weekend. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just don't know what you downloaded. You see the name, you think you're downloading something, but you could download something unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And you don't know who really put it online. So one weekend we download supposed to be a romance action or some kind of film from Taiwan, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the file is exceptionally larger than usual. We didn't think too much, you know. We just downloaded it and started watching it. And suddenly, that film turned into a documentary about Hinema Masakan in the middle. The film kind of stopped in There the was, middle? It was inserted. Ah. Yeah. So someone just edited a film and sneakily insert the information of Hinema Masakan with this documentary hmm. to allow people to download in China so that they can spread the truth from the history. Hmm. And that's how I know the existence of Tiananmen Massacre. I know the entire movement from that accident encounter. Wow, this is brilliant. It's like subversion through yeah. kind of deceptive tactics to bypass the control of what you can download and then to kind of get this information to people in China about their own history. Exactly. Yeah, it was quite genius by the time. But now I think it's kind of impossible because... The censoring tool from the Chinese government is much more sophisticated. Mm. So I doubt this kind of miracle could repeat itself under the current circumstance in China. But back in like 12, 13 years ago, it's possible. And that's how I learned about the Tehran Massacre. I remember reading that you actually have the tattoo of Tank Man on your arm. It's the arm that you draw with. So clearly that moment of learning about Tiananmen Square and the power of resistance from ordinary people has a lot of meaning for you. Well, it's a great inspiration because mm. all I know from my family history is this sorrowness, but I do not have a mean or reference to fight back. Mm. And apparently what happened in 1989 is another very sad story, but this story has a different layer of it. It's not just a tragedy and victims. There's also fighters and resistance, and that's something quite different, and that's something I think keeps me going. Probably those images with Tiananmen Massacre is the most tabooed and censored information in China. The Chinese government is trying its best to taking down any material related to it. So by having a tattoo on my arm is my minimal way to kind of fight back against this censorship. So now it's on my skin, and it's a permanent mark. Unless you take off my skin, it will always be there. It will be a remand to me, and it will be a remand to the people who follow me and knowing my art. So 
I actually first learned about you and your art through the controversy at George Washington University most recently about your posters <laughs> about the Olympics. And your mm. posters are just genius because you could walk past them and they look like, you know, just advertising the Olympics that are being held in China. And then you take a second glance and you see actually that the biathlon one the athlete is wearing the t-shirt and the symbol is of the communist party but they're actually pointing the gun at a uyghur the most recent one actually is a take on tankman where it's the the bobsled and tankman is standing yes. in front of it and they're just genius in terms of how kind of two-edged they are you could almost not Thank notice you. them but they're so deeply critical of the state and they're so subversive and the first i heard about your posters and then started looking you up was this controversy at george washington university where apparently these posters that you've made went up and the mm. next day the chinese cultural student association protested and actually filed a bias incident complaint saying that they were offended by these posters and then if i remember correctly the president went on record for apologizing and saying that he too was offended by these posters the posters were taken down and then the following day he had to backtrack and say no this was protected speech so can you tell me a little bit about two things one your inspiration for these posters in particular around the olympics because they're fantastic and they're they've gained a lot of attention across the world now and two what you have to say about the controversy at george washington well thank you uh, that's a very great compliment to this group of art i've making political satire for more than 10 years and I feel it's always very efficient and interesting to embed the plot, a twist in your art. Mm. You want misleading your audience to one direction until they find out this is not what's going on. So the very inspiration of this group of posters is just to to make it visually look like a real advertising for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Only that several elements will be swapped or changed. so that you realize okay this is not your regular promotion but an anti promotion or anti advertising mm-hmm. you know the chinese government want to use the olympic games as a way to inserting its propaganda to showing the world that china is very developed now it's a great country all the concern of human rights violation is just a paranoid western narrative to for anti china however all of human rights violation like the Uyghur genocide like the cracking down on Hong Kong people and Tibetan community and a massive surveillance those facts exists so i want to use my art to exposing those problems and i also want to u- use my art to communicate with public not as politicians or those kind of cold war mentality but just as a chinese as a chinese artist who care about my own country and people mm. and i want to share the world those problems so that one day you know my country china can be changed this group of work has been announced months before the uh, olympic so it has been exhibiting in numerous places it was exhibited as murals 
street art, huge billboards, uh, city advertisement、mm-hmm. around the world. You know, from Miami, San Francisco, Prague, France, New York, you name it.、Mm-hmm. Australia. By the way, I actually put all the posters online, free for people to download to protest. That's how those students in GW、mm-hmm. firstly see the work, and I don't even know they downloaded and put it in the campus. It's just spontaneous.、Mm. Chinese government affiliated、uh, university groups are trying to frame it as some kind of racism or anti-China, and they report to the university and just calling my art with all those nasty things.、Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of things are no surprise to me. This has happened all the time. A couple months ago, I had my first solo exhibition in Italy in a little town called Brescia. The Chinese embassy in Rome writing a threatening letter, blackmailing the Brescia government <laughs> as well as the museum hosts my show. Well, they're using the exactly same narrative, calling my art full of lies. It's anti-China. It's racism. That does not surprise me, you know. They would try their best to use excuse and narrative to kind of demonize my art and my motivation as well. But what surprised me is the reaction of the university.、Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of conflicts between pro CCP students and pro democracy Chinese students happening all around the world. And usually, the university just being silent, you know. You know, I wish they could do more, but most of the time they just do nothing.、Mm-hmm. And this time, apparently, we have some crazy drama that happening in GW, especially from its president, its new president. Yeah. So he did a very fast response after he received the complaint from those student groups who are associated with CCP.、Mm-hmm. Then he just instantly replied that he feel personally offended. And、he thinks it's hurtful and offensive, and he's calling other student putting up my post is a terrible event. And then swiftly after this letter was exposed and posted online, and he started to receive a lot of backlash from、yeah. intellectual community and artist community. Then he did the second response, saying he made a mistake. He rushed to the judgment. I feel very hard to accept the second letter as a sincere apology,、mm. because seriously, you are a president of one of the most important university in America. Well, firstly, you must be equipped with the certain knowledge to understand my poster. They are not high-end spiritual abstract art like、uh, Roscoe or, or <laughs> you know, Klimt. Or <laughs> it's it's a political poster. People are supposed to understand it after three seconds. Otherwise, my art is a failure. But he said he couldn't understand first, and he think it's racism. He think it's offensive. That is ridiculous. People high up like that must equipped with the knowledge to understand it, and also with the knowledge of what happened in China. All those human rights violations that depict within my art has been rolling on news. Not just days, months, and even years. There's no excuse for someone say, "Well, I don't understand it, so I made a mistake." It's not. And even though now、uh, seems like the attitude from the president of the university has been changed, but it's not really enough. And here's the reason. 
Firstly, I have to make it very clear: even though those groups who attack me have a name like Chinese Student Scholar Association or Chinese Culture, whatever, but they do not really represent every Chinese students in those Western universities. They are the one who manipulating and threatening the Chinese students, who supposed to have a free and safe environment to learn and express. And also, there are cases in other universities that Chinese students who dare to speak up got revenged by those groups. They got doxxed, they got physically threatened, and obviously, I think the responsibility is also on universities. I think you're making a really important point because you know, on American campuses, we have this increased awareness of the need to be inclusive and diverse and welcome diverse students, which in itself is a wonderful thing. But the way in which this discourse is playing out in American campuses is actually allowing dominant voices of different communities to speak for the entire community. Exactly, and that's a problem because it'll silence precisely those minority voices that are so important to listen to in trying to create these inclusive campuses. So it's the irony is that it's backfiring. You know, they're not even minority groups; they're just powerless. They're just scared.、Mm-hmm. They're the silent majority.、Mm, good point. <laughs> and unfortunately, their voices are not really protected and respected.、Mm. And apparently, what the GW has did. By saying it's a mistake to calling my art racist or anti-China is simply not enough because those students who helped me are still subject to this fear、mm. of doxing and threatening. What the university could do is actually, firstly, they should restore the poster they take down. That's very simple. And secondly, they should use this chance to introducing more discussion and even debate in the campus about those topics. My art is never about just putting there or change people's mind. It's merely just to start a conversation, and this is a perfect chance for the student and faculty from GW to talk about those issues that mentioned in my art. But apparently, the university again is dodging from those responsibility. I think that's so well put, and. What would be a better place than a college campus to have a conversation like this, where the whole mission is supposed to be educational? We're supposed to be able to talk about difficult things. Exactly. I mean, especially those students in China do not have chance to do that, you know, unless they want to end up like student in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Under the tank. Think about the tremendous energy and money those students spend so that they can have a seat in America. University, yeah. yeah, but still they are living and study like in China because they still cannot talk freely. They can only sneak out in the middle of the night to put up some of my poster. Even for that, they are being persecuted. It's a failure for the university in America in general. You you mentioned how you learned about Tiananmen Square when you were still a student in China. But now you are in self-exile. You do not live in China. You're based、mm. in Australia, and I, I'd like to hear a little bit about what the personal cost of taking this stance has been for you. What does it mean for your family? It requires a hell of a lot of courage for the ordinary man to stand in front of the tank, and you are that person. Could you just tell us a little bit about what it's like for you on a day-to-day basis? Well. Just recently, I received a、uh, death-threatening 
video from a guy from Australia. That is just one of the you know tip of iceberg of death threats that I receive in a daily basis. There's online threats, of course. Sometimes it is extended to real spaces. I have to call the police all the time. Even the people who work with me will sometimes have very strange encounters with possibly agents from China in Australia.、Mm. My family has been constantly harassed by the Chinese National Security Police. Three days before my exhibition opening in Hong Kong, the National Security Police came to my family in China, in Shanghai.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, in China, in Shanghai, in my hometown. They took my relatives to the police station. They interrogated them hours. Who don't even know what I'm doing, you know? And then a message was sending to me, basically saying I have to stop making art、uh, because. There will be consequences to me and to my family,、uh, and also they know who I am. So there's、mm. no way I can hide. That's like half year before the、uh, big protest outbreak, already kind of indicating、mm. the downfall of Hong Kong's freedom. It's probably the worst period of time of my life, and I just have to reorganize everything and think about what's the next move.、Mm. Do I want to continue making art, or? I should stop for the sake of my own safety and my family's safety. Well, I'm still gonna make my art、mm. because we all have a identity which give us a sense of freedom and sense of belonging. And for me, the identity isn't an artist. You know, it's not dissident. It's not an activist. It's just an artist.、Mm. But for being an artist, I would require those rights to be expressed freely. And because of that, and also because I am born in China, so automatically I also entitled as dissident or activist. But these are just byproduct.、Hmm. However, if I compromise, I stop making art about the thing that I truly care, then it's also stopping being me. Then it's a betrayal to my identity.、Hmm. So I just couldn't do that. That's why I choose to reveal my face and continuing making my art under the name of Bao Jiucao. You know, it's not easy, but I think it's a decision that I will not regret. But what about your family in China now? Do you worry about them? You know, it's very common tactic for the Chinese government to threatening family、mm-hmm. of decision when those people are not physically in China.、Uh, my family has become a leverage, has become hostage、yeah. in a way. So the only way that I can do is actually cutting my connection with my family in China. After two thousand eighteen, I never contact anyone in China, no relatives or friends. They are the one that the police want to use to press on me or sending the message. So not being able to contact with them, cutting the connection is the best I can do. Wow, Badiatza, that is a huge price to pay. Basically, you've cut. Your contact with your loved ones because you worry about their safety, but it is important to you to speak out to the point that you're willing to pay that price. If you have to do this somehow, you, you just have to do it alone. But on the way of fight back, you make new friends, you receive new support, and so you cannot go back to China unless I want to go to the concentration camp. Unfortunately, no. It's chilling, and at the same time, it's. Incredibly inspiring that you value freedom of expression to the point that 
you have made this the mission of your life. You know, like the greatest artist of China, Ai Weiwei, once said, "We need dumbass standing out." And initially, that person will be seen as dumbass, but but when that person become an inspiration and more people following, practically, we would sharing the risk and sadness together. And we will gain more power, and that's how all change or revolution started. It just need a beginning point, and why not start from me? I just want to say thank you, and I want to wish you all the very best in the future. Keep creating this art, keep raising your voice, and and know that you stand not alone, but you are helping give voice to so many more people who wish they could speak but can't. Thank you. Thank you. Ba Diuzhao is a Chinese artist and dissident whose most recent images of the Olympics draw attention to the Chinese state's human rights abuses. If you enjoyed what you heard here today and would like more thoughtful discussions of censorship and free speech, please consider becoming a member of Booksmart Studios. You'll get access to bonus segments, written columns, and special episodes. More importantly, you'll be supporting all the work we do here at Booksmart Studios. Don't forget to rate and share Banished on whichever platform you listen, and please leave a comment so we know what you think. Our success here at Booksmart depends as much on you as on us. Banished is produced by Matthew Schwartz and Mike Volo, and I, as always, am Amna Khalid. Toodaloo.